It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood A beautiful day for a neighbor Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood A neighborly day for a beauty Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I've always wanted to have a neighbor just like you I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you so let's make the most of this beautiful day and since we're together we might as well say would you be mine could you be mine won't you be my neighbor Pretty good, huh? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please, won't you be my neighbor? Hello, neighbor. That was terrifying. You like see my hands. Uh, I told myself I would never sing on this stage, but uh, I went home and I told Carmen that as we start this series that I was going to come out like Mr. Rogers. I kind of assumed that Brandon would sing. Maybe I would lip sync, do something like that. And her immediate response when I said that to her, she goes, you're not going to sing, are you? <laughs> I was like, well, now I am. Challenge accepted. <laughs> Except now I've got to let my heart rate get all the way back down so that I can preach a sermon. Starting a new series this week on neighboring. Mr. Rogers, he was the voice of neighboring. And he said some things and he asked some questions that are the questions that we have as well. Won't you please? Won't you please? Please won't you be my neighbor? What Mr. Rogers knows is that we need connection. We need a sense of belonging. We need a sense of community. We need people around us that we know have our back. We need the best neighbors ever. But here's my question for you. What kind of a neighbor are you? Let's just imagine if we could that our neighbors sit around and they sing to one another. Would they sing about you what Mr. Rogers just sang? I've always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. Is that what your neighbors would say about us? Are you the best neighbor ever? We're going to be talking about this over the next eight weeks, but we're not the only people here in Bozeman that are talking about neighborhoods and neighbors. I just read this this last week. The Bozeman Community Planning Board just last month set out their draft plan for their vision for our community. And they listed some themes that they felt like were the major things that our community needs to invest in to be a great city. One of the major themes, a city of neighborhoods. Here's this diagram here that was a part of their plan. I was just looking at some of the things that in their minds was part of a great neighborhood. 
I loved a couple of those at the top that said, there's a sense of identity. Again, that idea of belonging. There are social networks. People are connected to one another. Because the city knows and we know there is a longing to belong. But here's the deal. The city can only do so much to make great neighborhoods. They can do some things with schools. They can do some things with zoning. They can do some things with parks, with homes, traffic flow. But if neighborhoods are gonna be the kind of neighborhoods that people want to live in, it's gonna be about people. When people make decisions and say, I want to be the best neighbor ever. There's a book that's going to be shaping a little bit of Brian and I's thinking, this book called The Art of Neighboring. And there's a story in the very beginning of this book where the two authors, these two pastors in the Denver area, shared a story that was transformational for them. They had gotten together with 20 other lead pastors in their community, and they wanted to think, and they wanted to dream, and they wanted to pray. What could we do? What could we do to serve this city that we love? And so during one of their meetings, they actually invited the mayor of the city, and they began to ask him, what is it that our city needs? And the mayor started coming up with a laundry list of some of the social issues and problems and things that the city needed to address. And I think their list would look a lot like our list, affordable housing, at-risk kids, areas with dilapidated housing, child hunger, need for daycare, drug and alcohol abuse, loneliness, elderlies that are shut-ins. But then the mayor said something that stopped them in their tracks. He said this. He said, but the majority of the issues that our community is facing would be eliminated or drastically reduced if we could just figure out a way to become a community of great neighbors. And he said, here's what happens is people identify problems that are happening out in the community and then they come to the city and they tell the city, would you start a program to address this? And this mayor would say, I don't think that always the government is the most efficient way to solve problems. Everyone thinks we need to start a program. But he said the most effective way to deal with the social issues in our community is through relationships, not programs. Because relationships, they're organic and they're ongoing. You can't think of all the needs that can be out there in the community and start a program for them. But if there is a community of people, a neighborhood of people that are connected relationally, they know the things that are happening in each other's lives. They're willing to step toward one another and help meet those needs. That lonely person will be moved toward because people know they need a friend. If there's an elderly shut-in in the neighborhood, people will move toward them because they know what they need. The at-risk kid, a dad would come alongside in that neighborhood and get his arm around him with his own children. If we know what the needs are, it's about relationships. It's about being a great neighbor. The author talks about when the mayor left and these 20 pastors are sitting there in this room together. He said, he raised his hand and he said, am I the only one that is a little embarrassed right now about what he just said to us? The mayor of our city comes and tells 20 pastors what would really help in our community 
is if people would follow the second half of the great commandment of Jesus that says, love your neighbor as yourself. The mayor comes in, and literally what he's telling these pastors is that if your people in your churches would just obey Jesus, things would be a lot better in our community. And this lit a fire under them. And they began to think about, what is it that we're gonna do to think about engaging our neighbors around us? Because this idea of being great neighbors, this idea of great neighborhoods, it's not the city's responsibility, friends. Jesus has told us it's the church's responsibility. Let's not advocate what Jesus has asked us to do, being great neighbors. And I mentioned the great commandment, and I think we need to look at that because we need kind of an overarching understanding of why this is so on the heart of God. We find that in Matthew 22. Just to set the context a little bit, Jesus is always having these wrestling matches with religious leaders. And these religious leaders come to him and they want to trap him. They, they, want, they want to catch him in his words. Here's the question that they ask him. Matthew 22, verse 36. They say, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, this wasn't an unusual question. All the rabbis that were around at that time would come to the same conclusion. There's a textbook answer to this question. And Jesus obliges. He gives them the textbook answer. They don't stump him. They don't trap him. Here's what he says. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But now a lot of commentators think that probably in the hearts of these rabbis where they wanted to ask some follow-up questions in terms of, yeah, but Jesus, what does that look like? What does that look like for us to love God? We don't know exactly what was in their heart, but we know the kinds of answers that they would give. They had textbook answers to that textbook question, and their textbook answers would be vertical answers. It's about you and God. It's about you obeying God. Vertical. But here's what Jesus does. He turns everything on its head when he takes that vertical answer and he turns it horizontal and said, this is what love looks like. It's not just about you and God. It's about you and people. He turned the tables. Verse 39, and Jesus said, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Imagine it was pretty quiet in that room because what Jesus said was shocking and profound to them. But it was important because it revealed the heart of God. It wasn't just about a vertical relationship with him. It was about loving one another. See, they only asked for one commandment. They said, what is the greatest commandment? But Jesus gives them two. And he says, the second is like it. And most commentators will say, when they, he said that the second is like it, he's not talking about there is the greatest commandment and the second one is second in importance. What he's saying is that the second is second in sequence. It is just like the first. There are two greatest commandments. And what Jesus wanted everyone to understand is that all of the law and the prophets hang on those two commandments. 
talking to first century Jews. He's talking about the Old Testament. What they called their Old Testament, their whole Bible, they referred to shorthand as the law and the prophets. And he said, everything, if you want to do everything in there, it hangs on those two things. Love God with everything you've got and love people. It was everything. And to make sure that this was not confusing to his followers, Jesus doubled down on this commandment in John chapter 13 as he was sitting with his disciples because he wanted them to know that your love for God is demonstrated and authenticated first and foremost and primarily by your love for people, your neighbor. Here's what Jesus said, John 13, 34 and 35. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. But Jesus expounds, how? How do you want me to do that? Jesus says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, by your love for one another, this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Big transition. In the Old Testament, looking backwards, the mark of a follower of Jesus, the mark of a follower of God, someone who was in the family of God was circumcision. That was the sign in the Old Covenant. But this new covenant that Jesus is talking about, the sign of being a child of God is love for one another. Isn't that interesting? When Jesus defines what it means to be a follower of him, he doesn't talk about knowing something. He doesn't talk about believing certain things. He doesn't even talk about religious activity in any way. He talks about love for one another. And it's a radical love because it's the kind of love that Jesus gave to others. Now, I imagine sitting in that environment right there where Jesus gives this command to those early followers Matthew's sitting there asking the question, well, well, how has Jesus loved me? I was a tax collector. I was hated. I was despised. I was outcast. But Jesus looked me in the eye and he said, Matthew, come, follow me. And he pulled me into his inner circle. That's how I felt love from him. Outcast, pulled to an inner circle. I imagine that maybe some of them were thinking about things that they had seen Jesus do, thinking about that Samaritan woman. Jesus was always breaking barriers, crossing lines, talking to someone in a hated race of that time. And a rabbi was not to talk to a woman, but he broke through all those barriers to show her love and to bring life and hope to her. Jesus' love breaks all barriers. And I don't even know if, as they're hearing Jesus say that, if their feet are completely dry. Because Jesus has just washed their feet. The God of the universe, describing what love is like, love stoops, love serves, love sacrifice, lifts up another. And imagine what it was like for Judas to hear those words. Because Jesus washed his feet as well. Love as I have loved you. How did he love Judas? 
He loved him in the exact same way that he loved all the other disciples. He washed his feet the same way he washed all the other disciples. And Jesus knew, the text tells us, Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. Judas knew it, Jesus knew it, and Jesus still served someone that was ready to stab him in the back. Jesus loved his enemies. It's this picture of radical, radical love. I want to tell you, if you've been around here, you've heard our mission statement. Our mission statement is not accidental. It is deeply rooted in the great commandment and this new command of Jesus. Our mission statement is that we lead people to radical love in action with what we do like Jesus. We're here to love people in the same way that Jesus has loved us. And it's interesting to me, as Jesus brings this new command to his disciples and just say, hey, this is what it's all about. Get this in your head. This is what it's all about. What did he leverage to try to instruct them and inspire them to do what it was that he was asking them to do? Can I tell you what he didn't use? He didn't use his authority. Did Jesus have authority? Does Jesus have authority? Absolutely. Complete and total. Scripture tells us all authority on heaven and on earth have been given to him. He is the name that is above every other name, that at his name, every knee should bow to him. He has authority, ultimate and final. But he didn't leverage his authority. He could have. He could have been like that parent. that their kids ask, why do I have to do that? Because I told you to do it. And that would have been good enough. He had the authority to say that, but he didn't use that. He said, follow my example. Do the things that you saw me do. Love the way that you saw me love. And one of the greatest examples of the love of Jesus is that he left heaven and he came to us. He came to us. When John talks about the Christmas story, some of the other gospel writers, they tell about the events and the history of what happened. John talks about the theology of what happened. Here's what he says in the very beginning of his book, John chapter one, starting in verse one. He said, in the beginning was the word, referring to Jesus. And he says, and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, Nothing was made that has been made. This theological picture, Jesus is God. He is the creator. He's the one who spoke and made everything that we see. But then in verse 14, this is what John says about the word. He says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Literally, he tabernacled with us. And the word that John uses there would have said something amazing to first century Jews. That idea of the tabernacle. They couldn't approach the presence of God. God told Moses, I can't let you see my presence or you will die. So they had a tabernacle that had a holy of holies that was separate from where anybody could go. But Jesus says, I came. I came and tabernacled with you. My presence is with you. And here's what John says. We've seen his glory. 
saw his presence. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. I have to, I just have to read to you this same text of scripture, verse 114 from Eugene Peterson's The Message. I love his paraphrase. He says this, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. How do we love like Jesus? Jesus loves moves to people. Jesus moves into the neighborhood, not just theologically, moves relationally. People don't need just information about Jesus. People need an incarnation of Jesus. Jesus become flesh. And Jesus' plan is that him in us, that we would be his hands and feet, and that we would be the ones that go into a neighborhood. That's the overview, friends. That's why this series, I think, is so important and so is on the heart of God, and why we're gonna continue to ask the question, how do we become the best neighbor ever? Because Jesus was the best neighbor ever, and he moved into the neighborhood, and he loved people. What if? What if, friends? What if it's that simple? What if what Jesus is asking us to do to change the world around us was this simple, that we would just be good neighbors, that we would love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that we would love our neighbor as ourself. I think it is that simple, but I also think it's really hard. And it's gonna take a lot of intention and a lot of focus on our part to actually move into the neighborhood with people. Here's the assumption that I'm making heading into this series. I'm making the assumption that if you're sitting here, something in you wants to be a good neighbor. You want to love and care for the people around you. I mean, I saw it last weekend when there were people in our community that were suffering and losing their homes. The outpouring toward that tragedy was amazing in our community. People want to be good neighbors. But here's the thing, friends. We can't wait for tragedies. We've got to be good neighbors day in and day out because you know what's true? There are people that live right around you, that there are fires burning in their home that if you don't get into their world, you're never going to know about it. There are marriages that are burning to the ground. There are relationships between parents and kids that are on fire that need help. There are financial situations that people have where everything just seems to them like it's going up in smoke. They need neighbors. But we don't know how to do that if we don't know our neighbors. We've got to move into the neighborhood. And here's our commitment throughout this series. We want it to be really, really practical. We don't want to just talk about some things out here and then just walk out those doors and live our life exactly the way we lived before we came in. We want to make some changes. 
We want to give you the opportunity to create some intention and some focus. Because here's the deal. If, if you just think about all the needs in the world, it just gets overwhelming. But what if? Just what if we just take Jesus' words really literally and love our neighbor? Not a metaphorical neighbor. I'm talking about our neighbor neighbors. People that live around us. People that we see with our eyes. Day in and day out. What would it be like if we moved in to the neighborhood? I believe there's a reason that you live where you live. I believe God has a purpose for why you live where you live. Here's what I'm going to do today. We're going to start an exercise. We're going to start it here today. But I think that the application of this exercise can't be just during this eight weeks. This has to be an application that you apply for the rest of your life. As long as you've got breath in your lungs, you're thinking about your neighbors. And this exercise that we're gonna do, it might be a little bit convicting. And if it is, good. It should be. I think sometimes my job description, on one hand, is to comfort the afflicted. But on the other hand, it's to afflict the comfortable. And some of you, quite honestly, myself included, need to be afflicted a little bit. And when I say that, it's not about putting shame But I think we've got to ask ourselves, what are we doing to actually apply the great commandment to our life? Is this just some kind of a theory? Or is there a real world context that we can apply this to? So here's what we're going to do. I want you to think about where you live in this way. I'm going to make a big tic-tac-toe board. those lines are straight. Look at that. This is your house right there in the middle. For me, this is 1736 Fircrest. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to make a similar tic-tac-toe board, and I want you to start to think about the eight people that live around you. Now, I know that you're probably, your neighborhood isn't laid out in this way, neither is mine, but I want you to think about the eight people that live closest to you. I mean, you might be out on a a ranch in Livingston. You might be on a farm in Churchill, a condo out in Belgrade, maybe an apartment in downtown Bozeman. Maybe you live in a dorm at MSU, but you've got eight people, eight families, eight units living around you. I want you to think about who those people are. And this is what I want you to do for each of those eight families. I want you to start to think about three things. I want you to find out three things about them. And let's start really, really simple. Name. Do you know their name? And I know this is true. Some of you are thinking, there are people that I've lived across the street from for decades. I don't know their name. That's okay. That's where we're going to start. Secondly, If you know their name, first and last name, I want you to think about some kind of a detail about them, some kind of relevant detail about them. Not like something that you could just see just from standing in their driveway. I'm not talking about their house is green or they drive a black Suburban. I'm talking about things that you would know about them if you actually had a conversation with them. 
Like maybe, where did they grow up? What are their hobbies? What are the things that they like to do? What do they do for a living? Some relevant information about them. Just details, relevant details. But the last thing I want you to think about, I want you to think about their heart. What is maybe happening underneath the surface in their life? Things related to their purpose. Things related to maybe their motivations in life. Like, what are their career plans? Where's their life headed? What are their hopes and dreams for their family? Do they have any kind of a spiritual background or religious practice? What are their fears? What are their greatest fears? What are their greatest challenges in life? What are their greatest needs? I want to take, you're not going to be able to fill this out in an afternoon. This is going to be something that you're going to have to take time. I want you to draw this out and I want you to put it in a prominent place where you can see it and think about it and pray about it as you're in and around your neighborhood, engaging with the people that are around you, finding out information about them. Because if we're going to love people the way that Jesus loved people, we've got to figure this stuff out. Can I just say this? Jesus, all those eight people that live around you, Jesus knows their name. He's known their name for all of eternity. Relevant details, he knows every single one of them. Heart, motivation, purpose. He knows everything that's happening in their heart and in their life. He knows it better than they even know it. And here's what Jesus would say. Move into the neighborhood. Move into the neighborhood by getting to know them. Know their name. Begin to learn some details about them. Begin to understand their heart. I realize what I am asking here, that is an incredibly high bar. But we've got to figure, if we're going to actually love people, we at least have to know their name. You know what else you need to do? You need to figure out Who of those eight people is the crazy neighbor? Because every neighborhood has a crazy neighbor. Yeah, some of you are giggling and I can see some heads nodding because you know already who it is. Some of you are, let let me just give you this. If you're trying to think about it and you can't think about who the crazy neighbor is, it's you, (laughs) just so you know. But be the best crazy neighbor ever. Love with crazy love. I think if you actually do this exercise, and I'm gonna sit down and do it with my wife, if you lean in, I think it's gonna burn a little bit when you think about the reality that Jesus loves these people. Jesus came for these people. Jesus died for these people. And we don't know their name, but that's okay. Every marathon starts with a first step. Let's just Take the first step. And friends, you've got to have the long view in mind. This isn't going to be from start to finish in eight weeks. This is going to be about cultivating this for the rest of your life. I think about neighbors in our life and world that 17 years ago were just like, when you walk into a neighborhood, just let me tell you this. When you walk into a neighborhood and one of the first things that people ask you is, what do you do? Uh, You're not going to sneak up on people by saying, I'm a pastor. 
Not at all. And there are people, by their own testimony, just said when they met us, they just said our walls went up. We just thought, "Uh uh-oh, here we go. And the reason that I know that they thought that is because some of them are our closest friends today. Part of our church today. It takes time. Invest the time. And here's what I want you to understand. As we continue to do this, as we continue to move toward this, we're creating what we're calling a neighboring guidebook with just some practical things like, how do I do this? How do I try to figure this stuff out? How do I engage with people in a way that allows me to get this kind of information from them and to love them well? We're gonna continue to put this guidebook together throughout this eight weeks, and we hope that you use it. Take it seriously. Take the great commandment of Jesus seriously. Friends, we've got an incredible opportunity with our church. I don't know if you know this or not, but there are thousands of people in our community that call Journey Church their home. What if, what if every one of them began to think strategically, intentionally, with a little bit of focus, not on everybody, but just the people that are right around me? What if we've got just a little bit focused? What kind of a difference could we make? I asked Sam to take just a little snapshot of one little chunk of the city of Bozeman because we have a database. If you're connected around here and we have your address, we can see where you're at on the map. So I want you to see this map. This is just one little part of our town. And every one of those pins is a family or person represented by journey. That's a lot of opportunity, friends. What if? What if every one of those pins began to think about who are the eight people around me in my neighborhood and started to invest? Friends, it would change our community. And I'm not just talking about Bozeman. Belgrade, Four Corners, Livingston, Big Sky, Manhattan, Three Forks, Wilsall, everywhere that is represented here. Every one of us has neighbors. Are we gonna love our neighbors, the way Jesus asked us to love them. Here's the thing. This will make a difference in our community, but you know what else it's gonna make a difference in? It's gonna make a difference in you. Jesus said, the greatest commandments are to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And sometimes I think when we get stagnant in our faith, we think I just need to deal with the vertical stuff with God. I need to pray more. I need to read my Bible more. I need to do more religious things. There is nothing wrong with that. We talk about those things all the time. But Jesus says, if you want to be connected to me, love the things that I love. Love the people that I love. When you start getting invested in the lives of people that Jesus is invested in, it will change you probably even more than it changes them because you'll see God at work in your life. Your faith will change. I started with Mr. Rogers and I want to end with Mr. Rogers. This was a famous quote from him. He said, when I was a boy, I would see scary things in the news. See a lot of scary things today. My mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. To this day, especially in times of disaster, 
I remember my mother's words, and I am always comforted by realizing that there are still so many helpers, so many caring people in this world. Jesus would say, be a helper. Be the best neighbor ever. Our world needs it. Let's pray. Jesus, I just feel like I'm so grateful for your clarity in this. You didn't give us hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of things to do, but you told us what was most important. Love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love people with everything that we've got. Jesus, I want to pray over my own life and family. I want to pray over my church family. I want to pray over other churches in our community. Jesus, we want to take your great commandment seriously. We want to be your hands and feet. We want to love people. We want to know them. We want to know what's happening in their life. We want to serve them. Jesus, the same way that you served us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you came. Thank you that you came for us. Jesus, thank you that you came and died in our place to pay the penalty for our sin. We are so, so grateful for you. Thank you that you came to our neighborhood. You came to our heart, our life, to give us hope. Jesus, because we've experienced that from you, will you help us? Would you help us give traction toward doing that in the lives of others? Jesus, we need you to do that. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.